This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, we're going to be in verses 14 through 33. So uh, let me read through it real quick. I believe we got time uh, to read through it. Normally I'll read through it again in the, in the message, uh, but I think we have time just to go through it real fast. I do like to read it ahead of time, so I will. Uh, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14 to 33, a very long passage, but I really just struggle to break it up because it really goes together very well in the closing of Paul's letter to the Romans. He says here in verse 14 to the Romans, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints." For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that, when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren... For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity it is to come with your people and worship you corporately. We just thank you for the, the worship that we've already had uh, tonight, this evening, and for the, the privilege, the awesome privilege it is to glorify you, to be able to proclaim your glory to the nations, to those around us here, our families, our friends, our loved ones, even strangers that we meet. And I pray that you would help us to do just that. Help me to bring out the point of this passage, and I pray that your spirit would take that and apply it to our lives and give us grace to be able to work this out. 
in our lives in a way that would glorify you, that would show that we're your disciples, that we, we, we love the word and we want to spread it. And I pray that you would give us grace to do that tonight. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The 1940 Tacoma Narrows Bridge was a suspension bridge in the state of Washington that spanned the Tacoma Narrows Strait of Puget Sound between Tacoma and the Kitsap Peninsula. At the time of its construction, it was the third longest suspension bridge in the world behind the Golden Gate Bridge and the George Washington Bridge. And construction began in September 1938, but from the time the deck was built, the part you drive on, it began to sway wildly in windy conditions. It was actually more of an oscillation and you can see this, you probably have seen it, very popular image that's shown in a lot of places. It's on YouTube, and the, they tried to stop it, several measures, they all failed. The construction workers nicknamed it Galloping Gertie, and they still call it there, that there today. And uh, they just opened it anyways, even though it was wild, and on the morning of November 7th, 1940, the bridge collapsed, and you can see this as well, they got that on camera. And it looks like a hurricane's blowing through there. But those winds that took that bridge down were only 40 miles per hour. So major engineering fail. And it's now an example of what not to do in civil engineering. And it also appears many times in physics textbooks or in physics in the category of resonance. And this to me is particularly an exciting category in physics. So maybe you say, oh, I don't like it. Well, I think you probably would like resonance. Most people do when you really stop to think about it. It's, it's everywhere. We've, we've had a lot of resonance today, tonight. So resonance can be in all these musical instruments in our voice. And it's a beautiful thing that God created for us. But we see at times it can be very destructive when it takes down bridges and things that aren't designed right. So why do they say the bridge came down? One of the factors was because normal speed winds just happened to match the bridge's natural frequency. And this is very interesting. So I taught a little science over at Sweet Haven, and I like it. And uh, I, even then, I started watching lectures by Walter Lewin, Dr. Walter Lewin, a, one of the greatest physics teachers at MIT. And you can watch his stuff online for free. Don't everybody go there now while I'm preaching. I know you just can't wait to watch physics lectures. But if you're like me, you say, hey, I'm going to check that out. But um, he has a, a lecture on resonance in which he demonstrates breaking glass with just sound. And it's fascinating. And so what he does is he just takes the natural pitch, the natural pitch of the glass and tunes a speaker beside it and just cranks it up real loud. You say, well, how do you get the natural frequency of the glass? Well, you just run your hand along the rim. And so Benjamin Franklin designed the harmonica. I think you guys know about that. And a uh, very fascinating phenomenon. But you see this glass just start to pulse like a heart as it resonates with that particular frequency. And it goes beyond its, as far as it can and it just breaks. And it's phenomenal to see that. And so resonance is everywhere. It's destructive, but it can also be a beautiful thing. This, this professor, who's not even a believer, says he thinks everything has a natural frequency. And he even says maybe it gets into weird things like love at first sight. I don't know. It could be. It could it be. There's something going on there in the physics that we don't understand even now. But why do I say all that? I say that because I think that's what Paul is doing in this passage. He's trying to get his plans for a fourth missionary trip to Spain to resonate with God's people in Rome, at the church in Rome. He's telling them, 
about his gospel that he's been preaching all this time. And now he's really laying his heart bare at the end and telling him a little bit of his background and what he wants to accomplish in Spain, which is ambitious, even for Paul. And he says, I was hoping you guys could help me get there. At the end of this longest, what many people would call Paul's magnum opus letter, the greatest letter ever written, we see one of the purposes of Romans in the very end is for the Roman church to get on board with Paul and reach the people in Spain with the gospel that you read about in the body of Romans. A subtle second purpose. So um, it's often overlooked, and that's why I call Romans sometimes a missionary letter hidden in plain sight. Because we often, and rightly so, we get hung up on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Romans chapter 6, and 3.23, and 5.8, and the list could go on, right? Those are like the sequoias. In the, in the forest of Romans, these redwood trees that we, we all know and love, and we say, yeah, that's good right there. But stop and think for a moment, why are those trees there? What brought them about and sustained them and nurtured them? It was the forest, the whole thing. And so the whole thing is Paul pouring out his heart and his gospel to a church he really doesn't know to try to get them on board with his plans to get to Spain. That's kind of what he's doing, and you see that at the intro and conclusion, the logistics of his first century missionary work. So let me just try to illustrate it this way. Uh, we have a website. You can go on there, and I got my doctrinal statement on there, and you can see my doctrinal statement, and you could maybe learn something from it and say, wow, that was good, Russ. I appreciate that. That was edifying. Uh, and if you told me that, I would say, good for you. I'm glad I helped you out. But is that the purpose of it? Is that why I put it on there? Well, intuitively you say, no, it's, be, it's so that churches can see your doctrine and say, do we line up with this guy? Could we really be a partner with him? And what is he going to be teaching the Germans? You see, that's even more critical. And so I think that's Paul here laying out this gospel, the clearest presentation we have in the Bible, to let the, the Romans know, this is what I've been preaching from Jerusalem roundabout to Illyricum on my past three missionary journeys. And if you get on board with me, it's what I'm going to preach to the Spaniards. I think that's a little bit of what he's doing here. Now, undoubtedly, he's filling in the gaps of knowledge in the Romans. So let's just look. It divides into about three parts. And uh, first of all is Paul's past experience in ministry. So think about this. Paul did not start the Roman church, nor has he ever really been there. So he's going to give them a little bit of background about his experience in ministry and what he's been doing. And just listen to the language. Uh, he says here in verse 14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That's very flowery language. And I think one of the reasons is because they are strangers in a real way. Now he lists about 26 names in Romans 16 of people he knows at the church in Rome. But... That's because he met them somewhere else. He met them in his three missionary journeys, and they have since transferred to Rome and are now in this church. And so he's saying, hey, say hello to so-and-so. You know, I miss them. But for the most part, he doesn't know the pastors, doesn't know the elders and the bulk of the Roman church. So he says, I'm persuaded of you. I've heard about your faith. He says that in chapter 1. And you're full of goodness, and you're filled with knowledge. 
And, but then he says in verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort. That is an understatement, I think. Again, understated. Think about what he said to them in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and, and the whole thing. <laughs> Extremely bold stuff. Things that are branded a hate crime now for you to proclaim publicly in Romans chapter 1. So he just says, I, I have written boldly to you. And it's almost like he's backing off of that as putting you in mind. And he says, but why? Because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He doesn't use the word. What am I talking about? Apostle. He could have just said, I'm an apostle. And he does say that at the beginning of the letter. But here at the end, when he could have pulled rank and said, I can tell, I can tell you this because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, the, the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel. He really lowers himself down to just, I'm just like you guys. You know, it's just God has given me this grace to do this ministry. I want to do it. He's like, it's, 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 just, it's just you and I, we're getting the gospel out here. He's appealing to them for partnership. And I, I think you can start to see the subtleness of this coming on strong in the closing of the letter. Okay, he says in verse 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. So he's going to tell him a little bit about his experience. But listen to how he talks about it here. As compared to maybe even some other places in, in, his, in his epistles. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Now, as far as I know, Romans was probably about the seventh letter to be written of the New Testament, of the 27 books. So what that tells you right away is the Roman church at best has six letters of the New Testament, six books, maybe not even that. They're operating mostly on the Old Testament like a lot of the early church was. And so, obviously, Acts hasn't even been written yet because a lot of the, uh, the events in Acts, in Acts 27 especially, have not happened yet. He did not crash land on Malta yet trying to get to Rome. So he's telling them this stuff, and they may have not heard a lot about him, and he's telling them a little bit. And you and I, we kind of have a backstage pass. We, we have this behind-the-curtain view because we have all the 27 books and we know what happened to Paul. We, we've seen his extraordinary ministry. And, uh, you know, how, is that the way you would describe it to them? Probably not. If I was going to deliver the letter of the Romans to the Roman church, I would say something like, hey, you guys heard about Paul? Here's this letter he wrote to you. You need to sit down and read it right now. It's the greatest letter ever written. I mean, we don't know that yet, but it will be one day. Sit down and read it. <laughs> I mean, stop everything and read it. I mean, have you heard about this guy? I mean, he's amazing. You know, he's the greatest missionary ever. And if you could go back in time and do that, you would be selling this with all your might, wouldn't you? You'd be like, you've got to get on board with this guy. <laughs> but listen to how Paul talks about himself. I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. He says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, but it's been by the power of the Spirit of God. 
See, he knows his place. He knows he's an instrument in the hands of Christ and the Spirit. And he's not boasting. And if any of us could, it would be a Paul, but he's not. Because he's just going around and proclaiming this gospel. And that's what God called him to do, and he's doing it. And that's what missionaries are. You know, we, we kind of elevate them sometimes as these heroes of the faith, but it's, it's not always true, is it? Just ordinary people following the call of God and needing our partnership. Amen. Right? Amen. They need you. They need you. Paul needed the Roman church. He wasn't going to make it to Spain without the Roman church's backing. And this should be very encouraging. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me go real quick to the second point. Look, I, he says in verse 21, but as it is written, and he quotes the most famous servant song in Isaiah, Isaiah 52 to 53, where Jesus is led as a, as a sheep before his slaughterers, not saying a thing. He says, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand, for which cause I also have been much hindered from coming to you. And, and I think in a real way, Paul is saying here, uh, this obscure carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified down there in Jerusalem, this backwater province of Rome. You guys would have never heard about him, the Gentile world, and that includes us to a large degree, if it weren't for the apostles. And Paul in particular, taking this knowledge of Jesus, crucified in Jerusalem, and spreading it throughout the Gentile world at the time, the known Gentile world, of which Rome would have been the capital. And that's why he's so ambitious to try to get there, by the way. And, and, and in some way, you and I owe our salvation to Paul. I mean, probably most of you could testify that Romans had something to do with your salvation, the very letter we're reading that he wrote to try to get to Spain, to bring the, the gospel to the Spaniards. You could say, yeah, that's, that's why I got saved right there. I heard a sermon on Romans, or somebody took me through the Romans road. That's why I'm saved. And so the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 53 is not just Jesus being crucified and remaining in obscurity, but for that knowledge to go out to the Gentiles. It was always the plan in the Old Testament. And we're seeing it here unfolding, and we're seeing the logistics of it in the first century even, the way it got done. And take heart, it's the way we do it now. This is what excites me about this passage. He starts to talk about his future travel plans in part two here. And, and look at verses 25 through 27. He says, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So this offering he took up on his third missionary journey, a huge part of it, uh, was from the Gentile churches to give to their poor and persecuted Jewish brethren down in Jerusalem. Many of them have been evicted from their homes and be fired from their jobs for their faith in Jesus as the true Messiah. And, and notice how Paul makes all things spiritual, and he says even money, things like money, it's spiritual. And he says, you Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. What's he talking about? Well, he says a little bit of that in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. He says, what advantage has the Jew then? Much in every way. They had the oracles of God, right? What's he saying? He's saying the Jews brought us the Old Testament. They brought us the very foundation of our faith and the true history of the world. 
And even more than that, they brought us the Messiah. Jesus is a Jew and Judean. And so we, we say, thank you for that. And he's saying, well, if you really want to thank them, put your money where your mouth is and send a little bit down to them and help them in the first century. And he says, because they have ministered to you in spiritual things, the least you can do is minister to them in carnal things. He's talking about financial. And this principle is really set up in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, and that he brings out many times about not muzzling the ox that treads out the grain. And this becomes really also very visible in, in our grace giving that we have now, that we really see in passages like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and 10, where we give cheerfully, not of necessity. Those are the sorts of things he's bringing out here, these principles. And he's just doing it so eloquently. And, and, and it, you know, we can get bogged down and say, I don't want to give, or it's, it's carnal. And he's saying, hey, if your pastor preaches to you and ministers to you in spiritual things, the least you can do is minister to him in material things. And he sets up that reciprocal relationship right there. It's beautiful. And so he says, that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to, then he says in verses 23 and 24 and 28 and 29, he says, kind of breaks that up around that. He says, but now in verse 23, having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. What, what parts is he talking about? He's talking about kind of Jerusalem around about to Illyricum, this circuit he was going on. Many people say Illyricum is maybe up even into modern day Bosnia, Herzegovina, perhaps, uh, Albania, something like that where he'd been traveling, and he says, I've done my work here, I've established these churches, it's up to them now to reproduce themselves, but I'm going to go down to Jerusalem one last time, and he says, and then come back up in verse 24, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I'll be somewhat filled with your company. And then verses 28 through 29, when therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, that's the offering. I will come by you into Spain, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul had mentioned his desire to uh, visit Rome, to visit the Roman church in the introduction of the letter in chapter 1, verse 15, right? That's what he said, I want to come to Rome. Uh, but then he says, uh, but then he doesn't say anything about Spain in chapter 1. Why is that? Why is that? He's just, in chapter 1, he's like, I, I've heard about you guys. I want to come to Rome. And then in chapter 15, in the closing, he's like, I want to come by you and go to Spain. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what's going on? I don't know exactly. Um, I've got two theories about it, two speculation, and that is one is, well, how would you ask for money? How do you do it? <laughs> this is touchy, I know, and because it does... I don't know if you've ever had to ask your parents for money, you kids, like you want to ask mom and dad for something or you get into trouble. You just come right out and say it. You just say, mom and dad, can you give me some money? I need it. Or do you kind of start out with some information, some flowery information, and you say a lot of good things, and then toward the end, your parents might say, what do you need? <laughs> you know, let's cut this out. And I'm not denigrating Romans at all. It's some of the greatest stuff ever written. And he needed to get that out, um, but did, did you catch it? Don't miss it. It's very subtle. Verse 27, uh, no, verse uh, 24, for I trust to see you my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. Very subtle. He just touches on it, 
That is an appeal for financial support right in the inspired text from the first century. You say, how did, how did Paul get work done in the first century? Was he a lone ranger? Did he just go out and do it? It was all him tent making? No, both and. He's taking support from the people of God. The work of God is funded by the people of God primarily. And we see that even in the first century. And this is encouraging for me as a missionary, definitely. But you say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. It should. It should say, hey, I feel good about what I'm doing, giving to missions. That should make you feel, hey, this is not man-made. We did not make this up. This is God-made, God-ordained. You see it right here, and he's very subtle again, verse, verse, verse 28, I will come by you. A little bit more implied there than just staying with, but more like outfit and passage to get on a boat and sail over to Spain. Okay, so it could be just as well that Paul was going to get to that Spain part, but when he, when he said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome, also in verse 15 of chapter 1, it triggered in his mind, gospel, and his pen just started flowing. And then he goes into the main verse, the theme verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. So, and then it just starts flowing out of him, and he says, what is my gospel? Well, here it is. This is what I've been preaching. And he just goes on and on and on. It's just, it's just amazing. I don't know if this is how it happened. It's just speculation. But at the very end, he gets to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and he's like, what was I writing them about? Oh, yeah, I was going to ask them if they could help me get to Spain. So I've got to go back and put that in there at the end. It could just be something very innocent like that. I don't know. But it just shows you either way that, that Paul is gospel-saturated. Right? He just, he just oozes the gospel. And so the thing is, is that the Romans would have been a fool not to send him to Spain. You see? They would have been a fool to resist this, this idea of his, this plan. I would say, man, I would have been on board with this, especially after reading the greatest letter ever written. Now, I'll close here real shortly. Um, the last part, Paul's request for prayer. This part reads very much like a modern missionary prayer letter. In verses 30 through 33, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, but for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so he's just laying out some prayer requests. But notice how much time, how much space he's spent on prayer support right here versus financial support, right? Because that's what we do. We prayerfully and financially support missionaries. And I'm putting myself in that category. Now, I have missionaries that I pray for that my church supports and sends out as well. And um, I know that it's a struggle to pray for them, to try to maintain that discipline and say, set aside some time to really pray for them. So this is super encouraging to me. When Paul says that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, he's saying, when you pray for your missionaries, you are entering into their ministry. You really are their partner. And it is striving, trust me, you should know it's difficult, isn't it? To set aside time and to really think through their needs and what have they said in their latest prayer letter and to say, I'm going to do this. It, it, it takes a little bit of effort on your part and you're entering into that ministry where they're giving effort somewhere in the world with some people group. So 
But he spends all his time here and only one or two words on financial support. So what is he really coveting? Prayer support, primarily. And that's true of us, too. I think that's true of any missionary. Why? Because you're praying to the God who owns everything anyways. Right? We know that God can supply. So why not us appeal indirectly through you to, to pray to the God that he will meet our needs and get us to the field in August? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do it if he wants. Of course he can. So let me close. We're out of time. It's easy to apply Romans 1, 16 and 17, 3, 23, 5, 1, 6, 23, 8, 28, 10, 13, 12, 1 and 2. And the list could go on and on, couldn't it? You could quote those verses even. I hope so. These are weighty texts. But it's not as easy to apply Romans 15, 14 through 33. Why is that? I think because Romans 15, 14 through 33 is not a command to us like Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's just not that direct. It's a scenario that was placed on the Roman church 2,000 years ago about this missionary Paul and their obligation to reach the unreached neighbors, Spain, beside them. And so we say, what does that have to do with us? And you can kind of dismiss that and say it doesn't, but oh, it does, doesn't it? Because not much has changed in the past 2,000 years, has it? The scenario of Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33 is indeed set before us today. It just might not be Spain. It's not Spain today. It could be another missionary. It's definitely not Paul. It's not going to be. But another people group and another missionary. So what do we think about it? Does it resonate with us? Right? When a missionary gets up here and they, they, they tell you about their field, their plans, or what they've been doing, and they give you an opportunity to be involved in some way, even if it's just prayer support, is there something that really pulls on your heartstrings and says, that's good. That's good. I want to be a part of that. I want to get on board with this. And I know you can't get on board with everybody. But, and, and you guys look like you're doing a phenomenal job of it. So I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. But we still need to be recharged and motivated. I know I do. Does it resonate with us? Is there an excitement that we feel inside about what some missionary is doing and the fact that they're giving us a chance to be a part of it. Do you feel the weight of responsibility to support missions, to send out missionaries, and even to do your own part in evangelizing your world here? That's the question that really comes up after reading this missionary letter hidden in plain sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again for the opportunity to worship you in word and exult in the word. We thank you for this text, especially the letter to the Romans. Lord, so much revival has broken out because of it, and people have been saved. And I pray that you'd help us to really internalize it and proclaim it to those around us, to, to be that witness to them. You would lead us providentially to those who really don't understand it yet, really haven't heard it. Perhaps they have, and they need a reminder. And that you would just use us to reach the people around us, wherever you place us, with the gospel. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.